Good morning, everyone. The last time I was here with you, it was the day after a big England-Scotland match. And um, it, didn't, it didn't go so well for us then. Well, for me, anyway. Um, and yesterday, I turned on the radio, 10 minutes to go in the, in the football, and uh, we were one, Scotland were 1-0 down. And I thought, okay. That's the way it goes. I'm a Scotland fan. I'm used to this. We're used to losing, okay? Uh, this is what we expect. And then they make me nervous by scoring a goal. And then they score another goal to go 2-1 up. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, you've restored my fortunes. I'm going to be able to come here today and think we've won. But then we remembered we were Scottish and uh, gave away that last-minute goal. So um, it was a good match, two each. That's good, right? We're like... On the same place today, yeah? Okay, so after a week off, uh, this morning we're back in the Who Am I series, and um, we are looking today at individuals uh, to consumers. Last time we looked at, uh, sorry, individuals to, I've written individuals to consumers, that's definitely not what we're wanting to be, we don't want to be consumers. Individuals to family members, last time out we did, uh, we looked at consumers um, and uh, this time we're looking at uh, individuals, and we're not going from individuals to consumers, we're going to, from individuals to family members. Have you ever been through the Aldi or Lidl experience, I wonder? I am terrified of the Aldi or Lidl experience. I go in there with a list from my wife, and I wander around the shop, and uh, without fail, every time I manage to miss something, because it seems like everything's everywhere. And of course, no one is there to help you because the staff members are doing everything. They don't just do one job in there, they do every job. And uh, then you get to the till, and usually there's a big queue, and then suddenly another queue opens up, and you think, should I go to that one or not? I, uh, uh, and then you, you, you maybe go, and then you end up being in just as big a queue, and, they, and the other one stays open, and your one closes, and you have to move, you know? And then you actually get there with all your stuff in the end, and... Instead of the kind of usual experience of being at a shop where you might say good morning or whatever time of day it is, good afternoon, good evening, and you, you have a chat with them, instead all you get is and you're expected to be able to go at the same pace as them and get it all into your bags and be absolutely fine. Not me. It's horrendous. It's every, it's on the floor, I don't know what I'm doing. And the people behind me are just looking at me like, who is this idiot? <laughs> and like, just no patience for me at all. Almost tutting, you know? Um, we were chatting to someone yesterday who had been through that Aldi experience, and she had uh, twins. And her twin boys um, were at the till and, uh, with her, and one of them starts running off just at the moment that the, uh, the cashier is going boop, 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 and firing these uh, things at her. And so she's trying to run out and trying to get her boy and then come back and then do all this different stuff all at the same time. And there's this massive queue behind her. And do they help her? No. They just look at her, almost disapproving. Oh, I can't believe I got stuck behind the one with the twins. <laughs> they just rolled their eyes. We live in a, a me culture, don't we? It's a culture where people work for their own success and they, they want to be regarded as self-made and independent. We believe that we have a right to privacy, and we increasingly seem to balk at any kind of commitment or duty 
our responsibility. That seems to be increasingly the culture that we live in. Now, there are, of course, benefits to living in a, an individualistic society. Each of us has certain rights. We have certain opportunities. Uh, we have freedoms. We have freedom, for example, to meet here this morning and believe what we believe. But we are missing out on the goodness of living alongside others in community. In a culture that is so orientated around self, it can be really, really difficult to see how we're supposed to live in community. So this morning, we're going to start in Genesis. It's always a good place to start. And then we're going to go through Scripture and just picking out different Scriptures that are going to help us think about what it means to not be living as individuals, but to be living as family members. We are uh, designed by community. That's the first thing we're going to look at. We are uh, designed by community, but we have also been reconciled for community. And third, we are restorers of community. So if we have accepted uh, this reconciliation we have from God through Jesus, then we are called now to be restorers of community. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you are a God who is so good to us, that you love us, that we can trust you, uh, that God, uh, you won't leave us alone uh, when we are in a panic or in a state or in a, a difficult place, but you come and you draw close to us and you get alongside us. And God, I pray that we would be people who get alongside others like you get alongside us. Would you come now, Lord, and speak to us about how we do that, what it looks like, how you want us to live in community, how you want us to live as family members. Come now, I pray in your powerful name and speak. In Jesus' name, amen. So God says in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. We are not God, and we shouldn't behave like we are. Even in our own little world, it can be easy to, to kind of behave that way, but that's not the way that we are made. We are of God in his likeness, shadows of his glory, but we are not gods. That should give us great hope. We are not just random matter, but we are people made in the image of God. We are people who are more than just what we see and feel. Uh, we are made for a purpose, and we are made in the image and likeness of the God who gives us that purpose. That, that means that if we want to find happiness and fulfillment, we can do that as image bearers of God, because that's the way we've been designed. But what's that got to do with individuals to family members? Well, God used the word here, our, when he said, let us make man in our own image. And it wasn't a slip of the tongue. The very essence of God is relational. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God made us in his image as a community. Now, there is mystery there because God is one. But he is also three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we have to leave room for, for the mystery there, but what we can be absolutely sure of is that we've been made by a perfect community 
one that has always been and always will be together, fully sufficient and dependent on one another. And a community that is both creative and life-giving. We are made to be part of life-giving and creative communities that reflect the life-giving and creative community of God. That's what we're made to be. On the first big trip that Lindsay and I took together, we went to Arizona, where my cousin was getting married in Tucson. And so Arizona, if you know Arizona at all, you'll know it's a Grand Canyon state. So you've got to go to the Grand Canyon, right? So we got up early one day, took a long drive upstate uh, to get to the Grand Canyon. And eventually we arrive at this car park. There's, there's nothing really to, to show you that there's a, uh, an incredibly beautiful thing just over the horizon other than uh, this sign. So you just arrive in this car park. You're about 200 meters uh, from the lip of the Grand Canyon. And you get out and you wander up towards it. And eventually when you get there, you are blown away. You look out across this huge canyon, these beautiful red rocks with all their shapes and shadows and colors. It's a stunning place. And Lindsay and I just looked at it in wonder for a while. And then eventually, we kind of both naturally and instinctively just thought, wow, we need to try and take some pictures of this to remember it and to share our experience with others when we get back. So, um, we take out our disposable cameras, it was a long time ago, and, uh, you know, wind it on and try and take as many pictures as possible, remembering not to turn that little weird button at the front on, um, which is the flash, and uh, trying to capture the, the images uh, of this canyon that we're seeing through our eyes. But this canyon is, is more than 200 miles long. It's a mile deep. There's all sorts of different shadows and colors. It's just impossible to capture it with a camera, especially a disposable camera. <laughs> and so we, we went back, when we went back home, we, we went to Boots, because that's what you had to do. And you took your camera and you handed it over. And if you wanted the Express, you paid a bit more money. And uh, then um, you would wait for these uh, photographs to be developed. And they would come back into a little book, in a little booklet. You know what I mean? Like in a little thing. And then you lift it up and you start thumbing through. And you take out all the blurry ones. Uh, so together we, we worked out all the blurry ones, take them all out. In my case, there's quite a lot. Uh, and then um, you look for the ones with the random tourists in the background who have wandered into your shop. It's not digital, you can't just delete it and start again. Um, and so you take them all out. And then eventually you've got some photographs that you might want to show some people and keep to remember uh, the experience you had together. And that, that is, that's kind of what we are called to do. We are called to um, look to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Look to how wonderful he is, how glorious he is, and then share those experiences with people. Looking to, in, in our own lives, bear the image of God. So we don't have photographs to show but we have our lives. So we're supposed to live lives that bear the image of God. So when God makes man in his image, uh, he says, it is very good. And then he sends him on an adventure. He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So here, Adam and Eve are in this beautiful garden. 
but they're not supposed to just stay there. I think sometimes we look at the Garden of Eden and we think, oh, that was perfect, and that was the, the way it was just supposed to be, and, and they were just supposed to stay there and enjoy it. Now, it was beautiful and perfect and good, but it, they weren't supposed to stay there. God was sending them on an adventure, a pursuit, and not an individual pursuit, but one that would be a multiplying pursuit, one where uh, communities make communities, communities that look like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that look like that community uh, lived out on the ground as human beings, communities that reflect the community of God, multiplying into more communities that look like the community of God, and again and again and again, being creative beings together. Now, unfortunately, Adam and Eve, um, they didn't really get to see this happen because, unfortunately, um, they were tempted to believe something very different to what they were called to. Instead of growing and multiplying life-giving communities from Eden, they found themselves in the desert place, separated from the God they were made to reflect because they wanted to do it my way. They wanted to trust in their, themselves, do it their own way. And instead of entrusting God for what he uh, had for them, they wanted to be their own God and go out and do it themselves. And here we have the greatest human problem. If humanity was to be satisfied again, it would need to be given uh, a way to be reunited to God. Only then would we be able to be the communities that we've been designed to be by the community of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thankfully, God had a plan. A plan for us to be reconciled for community. And that's our second point, reconciled for community. I really clearly remember the moment I became a Christian. I was uh, at a camp that I'd gone to just because I liked a girl. Uh, unfortunately, the girl didn't turn up, cheek of it, and uh, I went through this week-long camp, and each day, increasingly so, I felt like the talks each evening were, were for me, that God was speaking through uh, the guy giving the talks into my heart. I couldn't explain it, I just, I just knew that that was what was happening. And so we got to the last night, and they did that thing that they do on the last night, which is to give you a chance to give your life to Jesus. And so they said, look, if you want to do that, stay behind. And I just knew I needed to do that. And so I did, stayed behind. And uh, a guy came up to me, and he led me through what I describe as an ABC prayer. Okay? A, admit to God that you've messed up. B, believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son uh, so that you might have life in him. And C, confess your faith to Jesus so that he would forgive you of your sin and you can have a friendship with God. So I did that. It was wonderful. Beautiful, all true. I can know God because Jesus died in my place on the cross. And he reconciles me to God through that action. But as glorious as that is, we need to start getting much clearer that if, if you uh, are reconciled to God, you're not only reconciled to God, you're reconciled to his family. You are reconciled to new brothers and sisters. You don't just get a father 
in God the Father. You get brothers and sisters in the church. So when you're saved, you're saved into family. You become a brother or a sister in the family of God. Paul says to the early church in Ephesus in chapter 2, verse 19 in Ephesians, he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are reconciled to God and to his family. The night before Jesus was arrested, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he knew what was about to happen to him. He knew that he would be arrested and that he'd be pinned to a cross, that nails would go through his flesh and bones, that he'd be mocked, that he'd be abused. Jesus knew in that moment what was about to happen. And he says, Lord, is, is there any other way? And when, when God makes it clear that there's not, Jesus doesn't respond as an individual. Now remember, this is, this is the image of the invisible God. So he, he could respond here as an authoritative individual. But he doesn't. He says, my father, only if it be possible, please let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He submits his will to the father, even if it costs him his life. And it's through this sacrifice of self, of the individual, that defines the rest of humanity's course, that defines who we are. At the heart of Christianity is the denial of an individual on a cross for the sake of community. Through it, we are reconciled to God and we are together called to image God as his family members. There's a theologian called Miroslav Volf, and he says this, Because the Christian God is not a lonely God, but rather a communion of three persons, faith leads human beings into the divine communion, our relationship with God. One cannot, however, have a self-enclosed communion with the triune God, a foursome, as it were, for the Christian God is not a private deity. Communion with this God is at once also communion with those others who have entrusted themselves in faith to the same God. Hence, one in the same act of faith places a person into a new relationship, both with God and with all others who stand in communion with God. The shared experience of being known and loved by this God of the universe as his children is what uniquely positions the church, the church family, to be the communities that God had originally intended for community, for, for what it is to be a human being. Being spiritual brothers, sisters, mums, Dads, that's what we're supposed to be to each other. We're supposed to be family. In Acts 2, the church and Christianity was born. It's a dramatic scene. Uh, Peter uh, gets up and preaches an absolute storm. He goes from bumbling Peter, denying Peter, to suddenly preaching an absolute belter. 
And when he does, 3,000 people come to faith. And this huge church does something quite surprising. I think quite surprising for us as people who, who think individualistically. They do four things. They devote themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The first church devotes themselves to pursuing God as a community. And as they do, they are described this way, together and having everything in common. They got it. They knew they'd been reconciled for community. They immediately gave themselves to God as a family. They got it. We are now called then to be restorers of community. If we the church are the family of God, we are called to restore that original intention for community. People who look to change the culture of individualism and embrace this new identity as an image-bearing community uh, do certain things. And I've just got five. Now, there are lots more, okay? But I've just picked out five, and we're just going to go through five over the next 10 or 15 minutes, and then we'll be done. All right? When Theresa May uh, didn't turn up to the election debate last week, uh, the Green Party leader, Caroline Lucas, said this. She said, I think the first rule of leadership is to show up. Well, whatever you think of Theresa May and that decision, the first thing a restorer of community does is to show up. Restorers of community turn up. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 say this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, we have seen a worrying trend in the UK church. In recent years, people um, have started to believe that consistency at church is to show up on a Sunday, maybe three and five, or even two and four. I'm sorry, but but that's not the kind of devotion we see in the early church. That's not the kind of devotion that we'll see a community restored to be all that it is made to be. We, um, in fact, I think people who are genuinely reversing this culture of individualism and restoring community don't even consider their commitment to be church as to church to be one of the many things going on in their lives, but they consider it to be the, the central thing going on in their lives, and everything else flows out of that. I believe that the Bible would show us that if we want to be a countercultural in this area, we have to see church as central in our lives. And that, actually, that includes finances. And the only reason I quickly mention that is because today we, we do have this 2020 vision fund um, that we're going to be uh, doing an offering for later on. And just, just let that, just hold on to that thought that even your finances should be central in the way that you live your life for God. Just hold on to that. 
According to Hebrews, the aim of showing up is not to consume. Sitting back, waiting for someone else to come and serve you. Oh, you know, I need this, and the church isn't offering me it. I'm frustrated with the church for that. And so I'm going to come to church just waiting until that happens. Maybe grumble a little bit, complain a little bit. The aim is to encourage each other to love and do good works. That's why we show up. Restorers of community see themselves as family members who love each other. They come thinking sacrificially. We had a rule in my house growing up that every single night, all of us would be round the dinner table at 6.30 p.m., no matter what. That was a non-negotiable priority in our family. And actually, if you're a regular attender here, this is your family. The reason we were to turn up every night at 6.30 p.m. and make sure that, that we were ready to eat around the dinner table, because that was where we caught up with each other. That was where we knew that we could look into each other's eyes and ask the hard questions. We could see if they were all right. If you were struggling, it was difficult to hide it. You get around the dinner table together and you keep getting around it even when you're bored of what is being served. You just keep getting up and you keep getting up and you keep getting up. As a kid, I wasn't allowed to get a pizza and sit in my room and, and just play computer games when I wanted to. And similarly, we shouldn't be tempted to church hop. We shouldn't be tempted to go to the beach when it's hot. We shouldn't be tempted uh, to go to uh, some sort of entertainment thing out there that you're doing uh, on a Sunday instead of church. Prioritize the local church if you want to be someone who bucks the trend of individualism and lives as an image bearer of God. The second one is, uh, we need to be if we want to be restorers of community, we worship together. Not only does Paul describe the church as family members in his letter to the Ephesians, he also explains that they are like a building. He says, Jesus is the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, that might not, might not sound that impressive to you. I don't really want to be described as a building. But actually, when you think of what this building is, the holy temple of God, the, the temple in the Old Testament that, that we couldn't enter into the holy of holies in the center of it because it was just, it, we, we couldn't bear the holiness of God in our sin. And, and now, through Jesus, this great high priest, we, we now have access into that building. In fact, not only do we have access into it, it's broken out and we now are living stones in the temple and Jesus is the cornerstone holding us all together. So in other words, we are those stones crying out worship to God. We are the ones that the Holy Spirit dwells in. That's radical to be called living stones. Paul says to the church in Corinth, don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in his people? Closeness with God is a community endeavor. We saw in Acts 2 that what worship looked like um, when they were getting together as a temple of God. There was teaching, there was fellowship, there was breaking of bread and prayer. As living stones in the temple who are restorers of community, 
We listen to preaching worshipfully. We encourage and serve each other worshipfully. We come to communion taking wine and bread, remembering what Jesus has done for us worshipfully. And we pray with all our hearts worshipfully. We need to come together and worship in every facet of what the church is. And of course, we sing. And we like to sing, right? Most of us. In chapter 5 of Ephesians, Paul says, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Guys, when, you get, when we get together, something happens that is beyond us. It's beyond us. Just, it's, not, it's more than getting together like a football crowd. There is something spiritual going on that is miraculous. A pastor in the States called Donald Whitney said this. He said, God will manifest his presence in congregational worship in ways you can never know, even in the most glorious secret worship. That's because you are not only a temple of God as an individual, but the Bible also says, and far more often, that Christians collectively are God's temple. God manifests his presence in different ways to the living stones of his temple when they are gathered um, than he does to them when they are apart. <laughs> Let's keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming and being close to God. Let's keep coming and worshiping him in every way that we can, filled with his spirit, enjoying his closeness together. Number three, restorers of community love and honor one another above themselves. Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. There's a family I know back in Scotland. It's four brothers, and they're really close. And one of those families you look at and you go, wow, they're, they're like really good friends as well as being family. And they do almost everything together. And one of the brothers uh, has Down syndrome. And he is honored in that family. He is, he is treated so well. They love him so much that actually he loves take that. And so these guys in their 20s and in their 30s all go together to take that. And they posted this video online and they're all like giving it loudly with uh, take that songs with them because they honor him. They love him. They don't shame him. They don't slag him off. They love him. They honor him. That's the kind of brotherly affection that we're supposed to have for one another. There is no one too weak or no one who doesn't contribute enough or there, there's no one who annoys you so much that you don't treat them that way. Because, why? Because this is a place of grace. If you have been won by grace, then treat others with grace. Honor and love. Restorers of community are submissive. Now this one really gets to our individualistic culture, doesn't it? The writer to the Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who, have, uh, those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Our individualistic bias can give us the impression that it's more valuable, it's better to be independent, free-thinking, than it is to have any authority in our lives. Now, of course, authority can be abused, and we've seen that time and time again, haven't we? But loving authority, genuine loving authority, benefits the whole community. In the church, we look to God, his word, 
and the leadership he has appointed as our loving authority. When I was at school, I had two favorite teachers. Uh, one of them was called Mr. Cook. Surprise, surprise, he was a PE teacher. Um, the second one was my geography teacher. Her name is Mrs. Boyle. Now, Mrs. Boyle was wonderful. She would take us on trips. She would give us treats in class. She treated us like adults. We loved Mrs. Boyle. But would she ever be able to get us to quieten down? No, not a chance. She was loving, but she didn't carry much authority. Mr. Cook, on the other hand, he gave up so much time for us. Every night after school, he'd be taking another rugby team in his own time, not paid for it. And then he would, uh, Saturday mornings, he would be the one who's taking us out to other schools to play rugby against other, other teams. He gave us so much time, and he, he loved us. But there was a steeliness about him that you wouldn't cross. And it was a good, loving authority. You see the difference between just love and loving authority? Loving authority is good for you. I worked much harder, not just because I love PE, but I, I worked much harder for Mr. Cook than I ever did for Mrs. Boyle. Loving authority is important. And let me tell you, as somebody who's, I'm not an elder in this church, but I work in the office and I'm part of the leadership team here. And I can guarantee you that those elders, they love you. They love you. They talk about us like we're a family. They, they have a loving authority that you can wholly trust. Number five, restorers of community continue in God's mission. This is our last one. In the days before his death on the cross, Jesus said this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. That's in John 17, verses 20 through 23. He prayed that we would all have unity as one, just like he is one in the community of God. Why? So that the world would know his love. So that the world would know his love. We are supposed to be united together, a strong community, people who are committed to one another, who really love one another, who are gracious towards one another, who honor each other. Why? Why go to all that effort? Why keep turning up? Why keep doing church? Because there are lots of people who don't know Jesus. And this community is supposed to declare by its love for one another what God is like. And so you know what that means? It means when you can't be bothered turning up, it means that you're affecting the mission of God. It's a high call. But that's what the Bible says. And so we're going to look to do that. We're going to look to love one another well. We're going to look to sacrifice for each other. We're going to look to have our life centered around the church community. We're going to look to reflect Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as regular attenders and members of this church. That's why we do School of Life. We do School of Life not just for fun, 
but so that others could be exposed to our community who love each other well. We are made to be communities that reflect the community of God. And through Jesus, we can be reconciled to God and join his family. And now, if you've made that step, you're a part of a family that is called to be restorers of community. I'm going to ask us all to stand together as the worship band gets up. And as we stand together, I just want, I want you to look left and right. I want you to look at your family. And I want you to think about how you might love your family well. Now, it's going to be really awkward for some of us because we are individualistic and we are at times just very British, aren't we? But this is your family. Look around and commit in your heart to love your family well. Father God, thank you so much for these guys. Thank you that we are called to this place, to, to pull to Bournemouth, uh, to be a community that loves each other well, that reflects the community of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we do, we want to love the community around us well by loving each other well. Would we display your glory? Would we display your goodness? Would we display that moment in the garden and then what happened the following day on the cross, that self-sacrificing love of Jesus for us in the way that we love each other? God, I'm so thankful for the church. I'm so thankful that, Lord, it is taking ground against loneliness and and uh, difficulty and, and all this stuff in the world that says go and do it your way when actually we need support we need each other we're designed to do this together we love you Jesus we pray God that as we continue to worship we not only know a deeper intimacy a, a more uh, a, a, just a closeness with you that maybe we've not had before but we also pray that We'd, we'd feel close to one another. And if there's anything in us that needs to go and forgive someone in this room, I pray, God, that this morning would be that morning, that you would break down walls, that you'd open up new and uh, beautiful ways of, of loving one another well. We thank you, God, that you're here. Come and do miraculous things that you can do in no other community because Jesus is present. Amen.